Hello, and welcome back to Idiot's Alphabet Soup. This is a very special episode, right, Jennifer? This is such a special episode, and it's because, once again, we have a very special guest. Um, <laughs> certified biggest fan of the podcast. Woohoo! Um, one might even say she's probably the most frequently mentioned fan on the podcast. And that is the one and only Emily Smucker. Oh, also, she's an author. So this is Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, please mention that. <laughs> Am I really um, your biggest fan? Am I the one that messages you the most? Yes. Yes. Without a doubt. Frequently, you're the only one who messages us, like, consistently. Like, you're the person who I know will always listen to the podcast. That's all I've ever wanted in life, is to be the biggest fan of a podcast. Well, now you've achieved it, so... Luckily for you, you have 50 minutes to tell us how great we are, so... (laughs) Maybe I have 50 minutes to Jenny and Catherine slander. (laughs) Yes, you have 50 minutes to defend yourself against all the slander we've thrown on you. Okay. Oh, gosh. Um, okay, so maybe let's start out with just, like, let's learn a little bit about you. So, like, tell us what your deal is, what you like to read, what you like to write, what's going on there. Well, I'm not sure what my deal is. My younger sister, Jenny, frequently asks me why I am the way that I am. Um, I like to read, I like to read a lot of different stuff, but probably my favorite genre is sort of clever, lighthearted fantasy. Um, someday I would love to also write clever, lighthearted fantasy. I am in the process of learning how to be that type of writer, but currently what I write is mostly nonfiction or everything I've published has been nonfiction. So I have, um... My latest book is called The Highway and Me and My Earl Grey Tea, and it's about a road trip I took in 2018 and 2019, visiting a different Mennonite community every month. And um, I published that in 2020. And then years ago, when I was a teenager, I published a memoir about being sick with West Nile virus as a teenager. That book is currently out of print, but I am in the process of republishing that book. That is awesome. Um, I would like the potty to know that we got just a little sneak peek of the cover and like, I'm so excited. It is good. It is good. It is good. Yeah. I don't want to show the cover to the public until I have a release date, but that will all depend on the paper. We got early access because we're the media, you know, (laughs) we got that media access. You better have me back on to promote once it actually comes out, girls. Oh, yeah. Of course. Of course. For sure. We're definitely also going to get you on when you write your lighthearted fantasy. Um, and we read it. And then we can all talk about it and ask you about the hidden meanings and everything. Yes. Maybe because obviously the, the feisty heroines have to be like after us. They have yeah, to be inspired I you guys by us. wanted to be the villains. You told me you wanted to be the villains in my next novel. Oh, yeah. We could be the villains. <laughs> I just oh I word, some Emily, math girlies you, in there. Can you please write a book with two like math girly villains, but they're like lovable <laughs> villains and they're based on Catherine and I? You know, oh. I've never seen a young female villain who's good at math in any form of media. I think it's about time. 
Yeah. Yes. Mask girlies are villainous. Mask girlies are villainous. And I know exactly (laughs) what villainous thing this these villains would do and that is they would gossip <laughs> oh yes, yes. Catherine that and I are kind of fiends for gossip <laughs> yep <laughs> yep oh man oh. alright so maybe we should talk a little bit about like how exactly we know Emily um, I met her when yeah. I was born she's my sister <laughs> Well, okay, technically you didn't meet me until, like, you know, half a day after you were born. Or maybe a day. It was a little bit. I was not at and home when you were born. that was the best day of my life, honestly. The day you met me? Jenny, that's so sweet. I beat out Catherine. Wait, no, Catherine. I mean, Emily, I was saying the best day of my life was before I met you. Oh, okay, okay. The Emily slander is still going strong. I thought, I thought we were in that Emily loving era, but nope. Got to be villainous. It was, it was a joke. You blessed my life. Anyway, um, Catherine, how well, did you? I meet love Emily? Emily. I love Emily because okay. So I think we first met when you invited me to go to your birthday party last year. Yeah. To be clear, is that right? I invited her. I invited Catherine, and that's where Catherine met Emily. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. I met you as in Jenny. But, like, yeah, I remember meeting Emily, and, like, we were eating or something, and she had her shoes off, and I was like, oh, you have really nice feet. And that's how we started a conversation. <laughs> yeah. And I remember that um, after you left, Emily told me, she was like, I can see why people spill their, ca- were their secrets to Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that I said that. I knew I knew a fair amount about you, Catherine, because Jenny would talk about you quite a bit. Yeah, we were uh, spilling tea. Uh, well, that was basically it. That was also like kind of my own. Actually, my first so memory of hearing about Catherine was that Jenny came back from this scavenger hunt she'd done with you, and she was like, "So this girl Catherine, you know, that I did the scavenger hunt with, she pronounces the B in thumb." <laughs> I took a picture of her and she was like, I look like a thumb. (laughs) Well, okay. That's always how they said it in school. And I stand by that. It's thumb. It's dumb. Comb. Like, it just makes sense. Here's the thing, though, Catherine. There's several things here. First of all, like, if I remember correctly, you told me that your, like, uh, grade school teacher told you, um, rhymes with dumb. And so I feel like you can't make the excuse that like oh well no one told me it was pronounced thumb and not thumb because well, it's like dumb it's not dumb <laughs> there is it's um, not thumb. when you say um you're supposed to put a b on the end you're supposed to say um maybe that's what she said um, maybe but i'm dubious <laughs> anyway i remember it was so hilarious that day because i was like she catherine was like yeah i look like a thumb and i was like I'm sorry, what? And then we went through like a whole list of words. I was like, lamb, how do you say that? And she's like, lamb. I was like, oh, womb, how do you say that? And she's like, womb. It's like the only thing you don't pronounce the B on is bomb. Mm. Yeah, bomb sounds stupid. I'm really not sure where all those random Bs came from. Yeah. Hey, that's something that both an etymologist and an entomologist might say. (laughs) I really love that. Emily, oh, 
Oh, gosh. Oh, man. Anyway, bottom line is I love Emily. We're good friends now. We're great friends. I invited her to my wedding. And, um, yeah, Emily I got to give her flowers. <laughs> yeah. I was a dark horse, remember? <laughs> yeah, she, like, just showed up. And she was, like, all professional and, like, had wedding planner vibes. Me and Jenny were, like, doing our bridal party photo shoot. And she just walks up with her clipboard, like, Catherine the seating chart is like a little whack and you need to fix this and I was like oh my gosh Emily you're so on top of it like I have no idea what's going on oh my goodness I did not feel on top of it I felt on the bottom of it I felt like (laughs) no one was going to figure out like people were going to show up at the tables and not be able to sit at them and if I didn't solve this no one and like it was amazing and the day before we had rehearsals and we realized that nobody we didn't like assign anybody to like uh recite the petitions for um the ceremony and i was like looking around the crowd and i was like who do i trust to speak english and i was like emily so she was like officially part of the wedding that was my favorite well i enjoyed the whole thing i enjoy having things to do at a wedding um but reading the petitions was I really, really enjoyed that because the only thing I've ever done in a wedding ceremony before was be a bridesmaid. And I feel like being in some ways like being a bridesmaid is a more honorable, like special thing, but you have to stand up there in front of everyone for longer and you don't really have anything to do except stand there, you know. Whereas and if you're bridesmaid. if you're the maid of honor, you get to judge. Oh train. yeah. I've never been a maid of honor, so I've never had those special, like, I'm going to hold the bouquet now. I'm going to straighten the train duties. The times I've been bridesmaids, it's just been stand there and smile, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jenny was an excellent zhuzher of the train. I she took was, my zhuzhing job seriously. She was. Yeah. Jenny was a zhuzhing champion. Yeah. Emily, when you get married, you have to promise me that I get to do the petition. <laughs> Oh, I thought you were going to ask me my maid of honor. <laughs> I know. I thought so, too. I was like, girly, she has sisters. <laughs> yeah, Jenny's like, I already proved that I can zhuzh a wedding dress. Like, obviously, she has to pick me. Now, I just want to do the petitions. <laughs> do you guys hear the I Maybe I'll have... go wedding planner. Girl, we don't have petitions at Mennonite weddings. Well, I want a, a part where I speak. Yeah. I really liked the thing you did at your wedding of having people read Bible passages. I'd never seen that in a wedding before, but I think if I ever do get married, which is dubious, um, that I would like to have incorporate that. Yeah. yeah. I I was like pretty nervous about that because I, so me and Luke picked out those Bible passages, but I didn't know that Father Mike was taking notes about what we said about the Bible passages. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it so much when he said that the reason you chose the ones that like the one passage was because no takesies backsies I died because that is so <laughs> something you say <laughs> oh that's hilarious I've forgotten that <sighs> oh man but yeah love Emily love her to death and I owe her my marriage so there you <laughs> go <laughs> It's like poor Emily doesn't have a, a marriage, but Catherine owes her one, so she's good. <laughs> Catherine's going to be on the hunt to find a man for you. All right, let's move on to some uh, book talk, since uh, we're talking about books on this podcast. 
Like for a second, I thought you meant book talk, like TikTok book talk. Yeah, I realized after the words came out of my mouth that that's what it sounded like. We can talk about book talk if you want. Are you guys on book talk? No, I don't have social uh, media on my phone right now because it's just too distracting. I only do on my desktop. And I guess I could still get every once in a while I go to TikTok on my desktop, but it's just not addictive and fun the way it is on your phone. So I, I can imagine. Anyway, we won't talk about book talk then. Um, maybe should we give Emily a chance to defend herself against all the slander that we've thrown her way? <laughs> Absolutely. Are we going to do the slander defense before we talk about what book we would write together? Yeah, I think so. Yes. I think okay. it'd be a better flow for things. Awesome. Um, awesome. Let's get this nastiness out of the way <laughs> and then we can write our book together. Yes. With open hearts. So Emily. <laughs> yes. So Emily, we've had our uh, moments of Emily slander in the past. And um, it's been, it's, I think it's been a long time coming that we get you on here to, to defend yourself, to say your piece. So what's with the whole not finishing books thing? All right. Here's what's with the whole not finishing books things. So as you guys talked about in that particular podcast where you slandered me first, um, a book kind of has a soul, right? It's not just paper and words. It's like, there's like a soul there. I understand that because I'm a writer. Every time I write a book, it's sort of like having a baby, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, the premise that you guys were going off of was that if you don't finish a book, you kind of break its heart, which I think is actually kind of true. I think it does break a book's heart when you don't finish it. However, there are other things that also break a book's heart. Like if you read the whole thing, and you hate it, that also breaks the book's heart. Or if a book is just sitting on your shelf forever and ever, and you never read it, that also breaks a book's heart. So if you have a book and you start reading it and you don't like it, and you stop reading it, that will break one book's heart. But if you force yourself to finish it and like plod through it all the way to the end, if you still hate it, you still break that book's heart and you also break the heart of the good book that you would have read, which is now just sitting on your shelf unread because you spent so much time plodding through the book you didn't like. So that's my reasoning for why I think sometimes it's better to just cut things off. If you don't like the book, give it to Goodwill or to a friend or to someone who will appreciate it. And that's how you create the least book heartbreak. Also, there's some books where I think they their hearts deserve to be broken, like Mean Kampf or Flourish. Mean <laughs> Kampf. <laughs> oh, interesting. I, I that's think so I can interesting. See, yeah, I think I can see your perspective there. Thank but, you. Okay, here's my question. Mm-hmm. Do you have? Is there any part of you that's like, what if this book gets better as I go further into it? Like, what if? Like 10 pages beyond where I stop, the book starts to get good. Like, how do you deal with that sort of thinking when you decide to stop reading a book? So I guess on one hand, I think, well, maybe I'll pick it up later and give it a a better shot later. Like if I'm just too tired to really get into it, or maybe it's a bit, um, maybe it's a bit beyond me then maybe if I read some harder books, I'll be able to like come back and, and really appreciate it. But some books, it's just like, usually if I read 
you know, 50 or 100 pages of it and I don't like it, I'm just usually just not going to like it at the end. And when I do finish, like, plod through and finish books, I often end up kind of regretting it. Like, I read the whole thing of Daniel Deronda and I did it because I was with a book club, but like, that was so much wasted time. That book just got worse and worse. Or like, um, Out of the Silent Planet, another one I wish I would not have finished. Um, it didn't have a plot. Well, it kind of had a little bit of a plot in the beginning, which quickly faded. And I thought the plot was going to pick up and it just did not. So yeah, it might, there's always yeah. a chance that it gets better, but I feel like once you've given it a fair shake, it's probably not going to. That's that's so fascinating because like from the book's perspective, it's like, is it better for you to hate me when you have an incomplete picture of me? Or like, is it better for you to hate me like once you like know me completely? <laughs> yeah actually, you know what maybe it is better to like stop midway because the book can be like well you didn't like fully appreciate me in the first place like you can just go you know <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 I think there's a balance like I think there is a virtue to sticking to things but I also think you can sort of get a sunk cost fallacy where you're like well I already put some effort into it so I have to just keep going yeah um, you know I'll admit Emily I think for like, maybe not the first time in my life, but like I made the conscious decision to just not like bother trying to finish a book okay. uh, recently. Well, it was this one that I've tried to read for Brighter Winter like two years in a row. And I just am like can never get past the introduction. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what is it? I don't remember what it's called, but it's about this like lady spy who has like a peg leg or something. Um and it's like a true story, apparently. <laughs> but like, I yeah, could just never get past the introduction. I tried two years in a row and it was just like sitting on my like, not bedside table because I don't have one, but like a stack of books beside my bed. And I was getting rid of some stuff. And I was like, you know what? If I've tried to read this thing twice and I get bogged <laughs> down in the same spot, I'm going to get rid of it. So I did. And it was my liberating oh. Emily moment. <laughs> for you. Good for you. You know, I also think it's kind of like, um, you know, sometimes when you meet people, sometimes when you meet people, you just don't really vibe with them and you're interested in different things. And it's like, they love sports and you love reading and you just, you don't become friends because you just understand that you're not meant to be friends. Like you both understand it. I think mm-hmm. some books are like that. Like if I pick up a Western, like shoot em up book and start reading it, both the book and I understand we're not really a compatible match. And I don't think it breaks the book's heart if I let it go. I think the book understands. Yeah. yeah. That kind of makes, makes sense. sense because that's how I kind of thought of it when I gave up on the book Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy. It sucked. <laughs> <laughs> like, I promised oh, myself I would finish it, but then it was just too much. Mm-hmm. I'm not about yeah. it. But I will say, I don't want, like, if if you enjoy finishing books and that's part of your reading process that you like, I'm not about to tell you you should do things differently because my, the main thing I believe about reading is that everyone is just allowed to be the type of reader they want to be and that we shouldn't go policing, like, this is the right way to be a reader, and this is the wrong way to be a reader. What do you think the biggest, like, book sin is? 
Well, I was thinking about that. And, you know, I, I believe, okay, actually I did think of one thing. I think it's kind of a book sin to force kids to read certain things, especially if they are, um, what's the word? Okay. Like forcing a kid to read a science book. Well, they have to learn about science, whatever. But a lot of times kids are forced to read books they don't like in school. And it kind of makes them never want to read because they associate reading with pain and school, you know? Um, so to me, that seems like a book sin because I think books should be this like wonderful exploratory thing where we get to read the things that interest us and aren't really forced to read the stuff we hate. I mean, I understand there are situations where you do need to learn specific things. So you do have to read specific books, but for the most part, I'm not a fan of forcing kids to read stuff they don't like. Okay. So let's say you're designing your own like English literature program, right? Cause that's, mm -hmm. I feel like that's normally like, that's where you have to like read this specific book or then like write an essay on it or whatever. How would yeah. you structure it so that people could read things that they're interested in? Um, probably and how still, I'd like, structure have this... it. I'd probably structure it. I'd like to give some completely free reading, right? So they can go basically choose any book and they're required to write an essay about it or give a book report or something, but um, we don't necessarily read it together as a class. And then I would have some sections where I would maybe have a couple options they could choose from. So they're still getting some choice in it, but at this, like maybe if you had four different options, for instance, then they could still have people to discuss it with who'd read the same book but they're given more of a volition over what they read. Makes sense. We didn't really have a lot of required reading when I was growing up. We would just have like book reports. Mm. So like, yeah, like every, yeah. every month or so we'd have to like write a book report on like something we read. Yeah. And it could have been anything. Yeah. So I thought that really so what, me. What would you write your book reports on? So I, I remember writing a book report on the little prince, uh, Tom Sawyer and uh, David Copperfield. Those are my, yeah, those are the the three big ones I remember from grade school. Probably like Percy Jackson too, or something. But like those three, yeah. like uh, no, like stand out to me. If I was designing a literature course, I might also have some like summary, you know, like going over the Scarlet Letter and talking about the themes and the plot and stuff, but not necessarily requiring them to read the whole thing, but just so, just so they're like familiar with some of the main pieces of literature that are out there. I think that that's reasonable. Sense. Yeah, because I definitely feel like going to the school that we went to, Emily, <clears throat> where like the required reading was all like Christian literature, that mm -hmm. um, I feel like in a way, like I kind of missed out on the, the classics that like everyone reads in high school. And I had yeah. to read them later as an adult. Like, um, yeah. you're like Catcher in the Rye, Great Gatsby sort of books. I did the same thing, but then I felt like I felt like I actually got a lot more out of the literature that I read because I wanted to read it than the kids who just read it because they had to. Yeah, I think that's probably accurate. What do you think, Catherine? But like, I don't know. It's hard for me to think of like strategies to encourage kids to read. Like... We're living in an iPad generation, and I feel like for maybe like sometimes force 
I don't know, excessive force is like the only way for for like them to even like have a possibility of igniting a, a passion for reading. Yeah, like, I mean, what if you just don't give your kids iPads, you only give your kids books? Well, yeah, but like we're talking about school, right? Oh, yeah. Right, yeah. And like, yeah, so like in in that case, then maybe it would be a good thing to force them to read. I don't know. At though, least try. I don't know. Kids really love reading. Like if you give kids books, it's astounding how much children actually, I mean, there's so many interesting books out there for children. Um, and I hear so many people say that they loved reading when they were young, but then they like in adulthood, they just don't have time or, or they get distracted or, um, so I am like, my big thing is I just think everyone's life is richer if they read. And I think everyone has a book that they will enjoy reading. And if they get distracted reading a physical copy of it, that they might be the type of person that does better with audiobooks. Um, yeah. And yeah. they might just be, have a lot easier time if they pick something that's just really lighthearted and something they're really interested in. I think there's a book out there for everyone. Um, and this is something I'm pretty passionate about. I think that book gatekeepers who say like only the only the classics matter or are worth anything or whatever um, can just, I don't know. It is kind of a gatekeepy thing. Like, I just think anyone can enjoy a book. That makes sense. Do you think people, yeah. Do you think people get held back sometimes by the idea that like, as like, like maybe they don't read for a while between like high school and adulthood. And then in adulthood, they're like, oh, I'm an adult. I need to read adult books. And they go over something like, I don't know, Atomic Habits. And it's like mm -hmm. some boring nonfiction book. They're like, I don't want to yeah. read this. Yeah. Well, Sorry, like, Luke, I know you love that book. <laughs> I mean, it all depends on what you like. Like some people really do enjoy self-help. But like there's a lot of people who something like the Hunger Games is just like the peak of interesting to them, even as an adult. Well, that makes sense. Like the Hunger Games is written very accessibly. Um, it has very sort of deep, interesting messages. It's exciting adventure. Um, just because the main character is a teenager doesn't mean that only teenagers can read it, you know? Yeah. And I think um, like when I think, when I think of um, Filipinos or like people from like people from the Philippines, they really enjoy young adult books just because they're not good enough at English to mm -hmm. like appreciate the classics. Like mm -hmm. um, I know plenty of people who are, who are my age who just don't ever read classics or like mm -hmm. um, intellectual books or whatever. And that's like yeah. completely fine. Like yeah. they yeah, get their recommendations off of book talk. <laughs> Yeah. And the thing is, you have to kind of work up to that. Like you have to get comfortable reading easier books and then kind of gradually get into harder books, especially with how just fractured our attention span is in this day and age. Mm -hmm. Like those long sentences in old books, tiny writing, like it's really hard to pay attention. Yeah. I feel like definitely I've noticed this with myself. Like when my brain is really busy with a lot of things like trying to sit down and read nonfiction and focus on it is really hard mm -hmm. when it's like a nice light like a little fiction book it's mm -hmm. so much easier just because it takes so much less brain space and like sometimes that's something that's just what you need 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I've been on a really big fiction train lately. Nice. And it's it's been pretty awesome. Because, like, I was complaining to Jenny about this, but I was reading through this book, like, for three weeks or, like, a month or something, and it was called Catholicism and Fundamentalism. And, like, it's it was really interesting, but it would take me a chunk to, like, get through. And I was like, I need a break. And when I started reading fiction again, it was like I was wearing ankle weights and I just took them off. Nice. Nice. This is so relaxing. Like, I I forgot that I was supposed to be reading. Like, it's supposed to be enjoyable. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, because you really zipped through a bunch of books then, right? Because it was like, you had Claire Mm -hmm. in the Sun. And then, was it the Midnight Library next? Oh, no, then you read the Putin book next. Yeah, I read the Putin book next. Which technically Uh, was not nonfiction, but it did read pretty easily. Yeah. And then Um, the Midnight Library, the Japanese book you gave me. Yes, and, and now then, you're reading The Covenant yeah. of Water. Yeah, I'm reading The Covenant of Water, and it's like... Which... Yeah, I don't know. It's um, just been feeling like I've been watching movies or something. Like, <laughs> yeah. I need yeah. to use my imagination for this, and it's, like, yeah. so relaxing. I love it. Yeah. Speaking of The Covenant really of Water... Love... Oh, I'm going to just do a little plug here, which is that Covenant of Water, probably the topic for our next podcast, if you want to read it real quick before we get there. Guys, maybe dear listener, you should do... You Maybe you should do like a potty book club type thing where you say which one you're going to read next so that your listeners can read it and have it all read by the time you guys are discussing it. Yeah, that is a goal, hopefully. Okay. Those are like Um, one of our ideas for the podcast because like me and Jenny are really hoping to like revamp the podcast, revitalize it, you know? Yeah, because, Um, well... (laughs) We're trying to put, um, like, monetize it a little bit through, like, Spotify for podcasters. And you need um, 100 listeners in the past 60 days in order to be able to do it and, like, to maintain that. Um, And we're, like, hovering a little bit below that right now. And so we're like, all right, we got to revitalize this, get more listeners. And it's like, you know, maybe people would listen more if, um, like, it was, they knew what books were coming next. Yeah, yeah. I'll share what this on my Instagram on? stories. I'll share this on my Instagram stories and you might get a couple, like, 20 more people or something to... Nice. Because she's famous or whatever. Oh, yeah. She's popular. people come, will come listen to your podcast. Yeah. Oh. Speaking of which... So- well, this is not so much speaking of which, but how's your Red Barn Coffee Hour been going? And, like, it's oh, maybe you should talk about that a little bit. Like, what was... The, what is it? And, like, what's... How's that been going? Yeah, okay, so it all happened because I have a tendency to self-isolate, and then I come to a place like Oregon where I know a lot of random people, but they all go to, like, random different churches or whatever. It's not just people just necessarily run into. Um, So what I decided to do is have, okay, So, but then if I want to make plans with people, it's like, okay, I text you. Do you want to hang out? Sure, let's hang out. What about Thursday? I'm busy Thursday. What about Wednesday? You know, and just this whole thing. And then you have to repeat it every time you want to hang out with them. And you have to repeat it with every single person you want to hang out with. It's just a lot of work. Um, I So I tend to become even more self-isolated because I don't like going through that work. I find it very overwhelming. So I had this dream one night that I just invited everyone over, you know, every week to have tea in the barn with me. And I woke up and was like, hey, that's a really good idea. Um, 
So yeah, I've just been having this open invitation basically where anyone who wants to come by on Thursday mornings can come by and have tea and coffee. And, you know, like one time it was just one person and um, on my birthday, it was a much bigger group and it just kind of fluctuates, but it works because then you can just have a, a deep conversation with one person. If one person shows up, someone has showed up every week, at least one person. So yeah, it's been going great. That's awesome. I like actually love that idea because I don't know. I feel like I just recently discovered this about myself, but I actually like having people over at my house now. Mm. Um, and that wasn't like usually a thing. Like I, I don't generally like to entertain. Like mm. I didn't think, think I did. Do you think it's because you have a house to entertain in now? I think it's that, but like also when I was in high school, like mm. it was like pulling teeth. Like my parents were like, do you want to have people over? I'm like, no. <laughs> it's like, it's your birthday. You have to have people over. I'm like, fine. Okay, whatever. <laughs> so what do you, what, uh, what is it that you like about entertaining people? I don't know. I just like having all the people I like in a group and like mm-hmm. spectating. I like spectating mm-hmm. and I like having the house be like our little clubhouse. <laughs> like, nice. oh, we're all hanging out at Luke and Catherine's. Yeah. Yay. I think I was reading this article once on how to reduce loneliness. And one of the main things they mentioned in there was having recurring events that happen, like going to church every Sunday or going to a book club the first Monday of every month or something that is just going to recur without you having to do anything. Um, so maybe, Catherine, you should come up with some recurring event. Like a friend of mine would go to her brother and sister-in-law's house every Monday. And then her other sister and her husband would come and they'd have like a little family um, dinner every Monday evening. And if someone couldn't make it, it was fine. But it was just like, since that was pre-scheduled, they pretty much saw each other every week. Yeah, That's like kind of hilarious because we actually do have stuff like that. Like every Wednesday, me and Jenny and like three of our other friends play video games together. Oh, nice. nice. Kevin has turned me wow. into quite the gamer. Yeah. Well, that quite the gamer, thing- I mean, like, there's, like, two games I'll play. Oh, that type of thing is just really healthy. Like, think about it if you didn't have that scheduled thing, and it was just like, oh, we should all get on Zoom sometime, and then trying to arrange it with everyone's schedules, then you'd finally arrange it, and then it would happen, and then two months later, you'd be like, oh, we should do something again. You'd have to go through the same... Thing, but just having it recur kind of takes that stress off of everyone. Yeah, yeah, that's that's so true. Because I do like everything planned. Yeah. Do you think that's like partially why people like organized religion? I mean, besides like the God aspect of it or whatever. But like, you have this recurring event. Like, you go to church every Sunday and you see all these people you know and you get to interact with them. That is definitely one of the benefits of it. It also has a lot of just having a community like that is also incredibly healthy. Like even, you know, I went to this afternoon, I went to Wesley Yoder's funeral and he was this guy um, was always hanging around. He had been born Mennonite, didn't really go to church anymore, was basically homeless. And yet everyone just kind of took care of him. Like one guy helped him with finances and someone else let him live in a trailer on their yard. And, you know, he would steal stuff from people and stuff, but it wasn't like, no one treated him like he was just a random homeless person. They treated him like he was part of the community in a sense. Um, Right. And that's just a very healthy thing 
to have that sort of community, which I think is why a big reason of why people are drawn to church. I'd say so. I'd say everybody could use a little church. Mm -hmm. If nothing else, I really like going to church because when we go to Walmart after, it's like, yeah, we went to church and we're dressed (laughs) for it. It gives me a little ego boost. It's like I see you in your like leggings and t-shirt. I am wearing my heels. I'm wearing my heels and my dress. My husband's in his button up like, we're going places. We went to church. Better be nice to people because there's a stereotype that the after church crowd is the meanest, nastiest crowd. And that does not give religion a good name. So yeah, Catherine's just walking around with her nose in the air. Just being all snooty. Just don't yell at any of the cashiers. (laughs) Do you know who I am? If you go Did to you a restaurant, leave an actual church instead of a trap. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anyway. We leave tips in this house. Um, all right, maybe we should move on to some of the other questions on the discussion guide. Yes, like, oh my gosh, we should start. Let's write a book together. Yes, okay. The three of us are writing a book together. All right. What's, what's the storyline? How are we doing this? Well, I was thinking about this question a little bit, and I was really curious what parts of the book writing process seem appealing to you? Because to write a book, you have to do all these different things, right? So first you have to come up with the initial ideas, which is always my favorite part. Then you have to write the first draft and you'll like, you keep running into plot issues that you have to figure out solutions for. And you have to like finish the first draft. That's always the hardest part for me. And then you have to just like go through and edit and go through and edit again and go through and edit again. And that part I enjoy again. (laughs) And I'm wondering for you guys, what parts of that process feel like you'd enjoy them and what parts you feel like you'd hate? Well, I think I always say, and you can quote me on this. I've said it multiple times. I'm an idea, man. I'm not (laughs) an execution, man. And like, it's any true. Project, I love it so much. Any project that me and De- Jenny get our hands on, I'm just like idea, 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 and they're good, but mm-hmm. like I have zero idea on how to execute them. Oh, that's hilarious! I'm yeah. also an idea person. I feel like Jenny would be finishing this book. Like Catherine and I would just run off and do something else, and Jenny would be like at her computer pounding out the last words before the deadline. <laughs> I think yeah, that's because, accurate. Like, like literally anything, like you know, the, the project that we're doing now, Jenny. It's like I have an idea, and like you kind of figure out a way how to make that possible. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, like it's I, yeah. I have like these big ideas in my mind, and Jenny's like, "Catherine, that's stupid. Like, how would that even work?" Or like. Even even before this, like every once in a while, Catherine will be like, oh, we should do like this and this and this. And I'll be like, but what about like these hindrances here, here and here? And she'll be like, I don't know. I'm just an ideas man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So do you remember when you guys had that conversation about the novel you'd write? I sent you a message on Instagram and I was like, oh, I have this great idea for what novel you should write. Do you guys remember what that was? Because I don't. I also I do, do not. not. I do remember that you really liked our sock idea. <laughs> yes. Okay, but here's what I propose for the book okay. we write. 
Because, like, there's always a little bit of complication, I think, when you have, like, multiple people trying to write something. So I thought we do a, like, intertwining stories sort of situation. Okay. Where, like, each of us writes a different perspective. So, like, these characters have different voices because each of us is writing one of them. Ooh. Um, and, like, maybe it's the sort of thing where you start out with, like, oh, it's these three separate stories. And as the book progresses, you begin to see how the stories are intertwined. Man, that's so complicated, though. Like, to me, making the three perspectives fit with each other feels harder than just writing in someone else's perspective. I have a lot of experience now with the copywriting I do, just like, okay, I'm going to write for this person and this company now. So I feel like if you guys had a book you were doing and with the Matthew main character and stuff, and you were like, oh, I don't feel like writing this chapter, that I could just write the chapter for you. <laughs> I know that I enjoy it, but I feel like I could do it. And um, I, you guys would have to come in and correct my math later, of course. But <laughs> See, the thing I'm so like scared of writing about like math is that math people are going to hate it, like no matter what. Like mm. no matter what you write, someone will be like displeased about it. Well, you know what it is, is like math undergrads will love it and math grad students <laughs> will hate it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because it's like grad school where you start to get pretentious about math. I just had a funny idea. We could make the villain the mathematician and the villain could be doing math wrong and math people would understand that the villain was doing math wrong, but it would go over the heads of non-math people. And then the the villain would be incompetent. Like the villain's machine would not work. And the math people would understand, oh, the math obviously didn't work back there. And so that's why his machine broke down. He's like, like an I calculated the velocity. <laughs> He'll be like, I calculated the velocity with a fast Fourier transform. <laughs> and I hate everyone you. else reading the book so would just much. be like, oh, the mathy villain's machine didn't work. But the, to the math people, they would understand the joke and just, I bet they'd love that. Yeah. Yeah, that is a oh really neat idea. Catherine, I almost sent this meme to you the other day, but I knew you would hate it, so I didn't. But I probably should have. Um, it was one, of, it was like a differential equation that was like written on the board and then like the, like solving it was written underneath it. Um, but it was basically just like a, I can't, uh, implicit differentiation is what it was. Okay. Um. The terrible thing is that whoever did it, did it wrong. And it, the, the meme was like a picture of this whiteboard. And it was like, oh my word, I can't believe that I used to be able to like solve this type of thing. And like I used to be able to do this math. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, you did not do the product rule. <laughs> like, what do you think you're doing? That um, sucks. Yeah, so I almost sent it to you, but I didn't. But if I come across it again, I will. <laughs> I, for the record, I hate all math memes. I think they're stupid and dumb. And go away forever. Catherine, I bet you're really fun at parties. <laughs> fun at parties. You know what she does at parties? Um, Emily, I mean, Catherine, tell her about the go-karting you did yesterday. What? Literally, we went go-karting and we all had a great time. <laughs> tell her what the tracks were named. The tracks? Oh, okay. So, like, I don't know if... 
anyone knows this, maybe Emily, you don't know this about me, but I really enjoy Formula One racing. Like if there's one sport that I follow, it is Formula One. I learned that about you on the potty. (laughs) Yeah, I think we talked about it in the last episode. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, Anyway, so me and Luke and a bunch of like Luke's family, we went to the 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 go-kart. I don't know. What is it called? Like the go-kart place? I don't know. Yeah, the go-kart track. And the adults um, go-kart track was named Monaco. And I just went, oh, that's so interesting. The I, It's probably named Monaco because it's really difficult. And uh, the track at Monaco is famous for its twists and turns. And it's like nearly impossible <laughs> to like win without being pole position. And Jenny thought that was hilarious. I was just stating fun facts. Well, it I'm was sorry. especially funny because you were like, the like kids track was named like Lafleur or something. You were like... That's interesting because Lafleur is actually like the easiest track or whatever. I don't know. I don't know anything about F one. That's hilarious. It was giving I would very never similar. Yeah, um, it was giving very similar vibes to this one time. Can I talk about this, Catherine? Yes, sure. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why I found this so funny, but Catherine's the type where, like, when she knows things, she loves to share it, um, and I love it so much. But she saw that this girl that she follows on Instagram was at um, the, the the breakers, breakers. which is yeah. And so she goes, "Oh, this girl is at the breakers, which is actually the ancestral home of the Vanderbilts, which is interesting because I read a book about them." <laughs> oh, I'd enjoy reading a book about the Vanderbilts. Actually, that would be interesting. Yeah. You know that Anderson Cooper is a Vanderbilt. Oh, I did not know that. I'm not surprised because... Okay, you literally goodness. stole that from me because I read a book about the Vanderbilt. <laughs> it's by Anderson Cooper, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh interesting. Well, because you, you really told like... me like five times that Anderson Cooper is a Vanderbilt. And so I was like, fine, it's my fact now. Oh, that's funny. I don't know. You go on Wikipedia and look up people and you realize they're all related to each other. Like everyone in power has someone in their family that you can, has like a blue link on their name and oh, they have a Wikipedia page too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Emily, you should borrow that book when you're here for my birthday. I should. I'm going to have way too many books to borrow though because I also want to read I Am a Cat. Yeah, it's pretty good. You know what celebrity I found like really interesting that was related to a lot of people? was that actor, Edmund, from Chronicles of Narnia. Do you know what I'm talking really? about? Who's he related to? He's related to uh, Alfred Keynes, who is this world-famous, like, economist that, like, I studied in Econ 101 or whatever. Interesting. Like, really? ancient economics is really big, yeah. That's so interesting. That is all I have to say about that. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> this is what I think the book should be about is um two old ladies based on how you and jenny will be when you're old okay they have some sort of vendetta against the world and want to like build a big machine to blow everybody up or go to mars or something and they do the math wrong and it doesn't work out oh my word and they have a bookshop and they're building this machine (laughs) in the basement of their bookshop (laughs) oh Maybe they're planning, plotting epic revenge on everyone who commits book sins. Yes. Yes. They're going to sell them exploding books. Oh, my gosh. 
But they're machine fails and they just turn into glitter bombs. They're just vigilantes in the worst way possible. Yes, I love it. Uh, or, you know what? It could be like old ladies and, you know, they know everyone's business because they're huge gossips and they exact revenge on like people who they feel have wronged other people. Yes. In their old lady ways. Okay, what is an old lady way to exact revenge? It has to be an old lady, but also a mathy way. Like, I'm just hung up on this idea of villainous mathematician, female villainous (laughs) mathematicians, because I don't think that exists. But I think it's more. Catherine, you're going to hate me for saying this, but like, you might even say a mathema villain. I hate you. Hmm. (laughs) I want to go on the record to say that I hate you right now. That's valid. Your your feelings are valid, Catherine. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my word. So who is the hero battling the villainous old lady mathematicians? A young authoress. <laughs> A young Emily. <laughs> Wait, I'm not sure. And then it can be like you know, ooh, Emily, she has such a big imagination. She's just like going through life. And, like, she has no idea that, like, these two people hate her and are actively, like, planning for her demise. Or she has such a big imagination and she realizes these people are actively planning for her demise. And she tries to tell people and they're like, Emily and her big imagination. Like, she thinks these sweet old ladies hate everyone. (laughs) You know, what would be really funny, like, if we were going to exaggerate each of our characters, the exaggeration of me would just be like completely head in the clouds unaware of what's going on around her and so you could have me okay you know how like in phineas and ferb episodes um dr doofenshmirtz always like the thing he creates always accidentally wipes out the thing that phineas and ferb have have made right before the mom comes and sees it oh Mm -hmm. yeah i'm sort of like that where like i would foil your plans but be like completely unaware that I was foiling your plans each time. <laughs> yes. Yes. That would be so good. I love that. Okay, Jenny, figure out a way to make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just an ideas man. I'm an ideas man, okay? You know, the funny thing is, or what you could do with this is you could have almost a collection of short stories. You could you could fit oh, them yes. together. It could be like for kids or something, right? Like, you read the story one day and it's when the villainous mathematician ladies are trying to put a bomb under the table of the tea parlor and then head in the clouds. Emily goes to drink tea with her grandmother and she sees the most beautiful orb under the table and decides she's going to go put it in the poor man's garden as a surprise for him and she goes and puts it there and it blows up while neither of them are there and there's something in the bomb that's like amazing for the soil <laughs> or you know something like that and then that could be story one <laughs> oh, Lord, story yes. two is something completely as silly um does it definitely that. have to be for children but um it would be fun i feel like that's if the three of us funny. were going to do something together it would have to be aimed at like like fourth fifth and sixth graders you know yeah definitely nothing past like middle grade (laughs) yeah 
we could if we tried hard enough right for adults, but just like we, the three of us enjoy having fun. And so, and we enjoy silliness. So we might as well capitalize on our fun silliness if we were going to write something together. I feel like that would play yes. to our strengths the most. Yeah. 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 okay because i think yeah like maybe if we were pairing off in different ways we would write different books but i think the three of us together would write for that audience i agree okay we are like almost out of time and we have like just enough for a final bit what should we ask emily next jenny um well emily's such a big fan of the podcast and enjoys the conversations and often sends us her little voice memos afterwards so maybe it's like, of all the conversations we've had on the podcast, which ones have been the ones that you've been the most like, ugh, I just wish I could be a part of that conversation? Actually, probably the one was when you were coming up with plots for mm. things. Because it just was so fun. Like, my mind was just churning and I wanted to add in all these ideas and stuff. Um, and then, of course, when you slandered me, every time you slandered me, I was like, I want to come and say how I really feel because I don't think Jenny's doing a very good job of representing my position here. <laughs> Sorry. Which, speaking of which, I did not get to defend myself about the clothes thing. Is there time for that yet? Yeah, let's oh, do that. Yeah. Okay, so the, yeah, the context was we were talking about what makes us human. And I definitely misrepresented what you said there, because I feel like even later you kind of corrected yourself in a way that made more sense. But say what you think makes us human in regards to clothing. Okay, so you guys were having this conversation about, like, what is it that separates humans from the animals? At least that's how I understood it. Like, what makes humans different from the animals? And right off the bat, I was, like, taking it as a silly question, not a serious question, because, you know, you just look around you and you see a gazillion things that humans do differently from the animals. Like we cover our floors with carpets and we have fancy hairdos and spices on our food and we farm and write poetry and embroider cushions and just all sorts of things, you know. So I was really thinking of like, what's the most obvious thing? And I thought that actually the most obvious thing is the fact that humans wear clothes because <clears throat> um, if you ask a child what makes humans different from the animals, they'll probably either say clothes or they might say like humans can talk and animals can't. But I wanted to go with clothing because I like to think that animals all have secret languages we just can't understand. <laughs> um, so that was initially why I said clothes. But then when you guys slandered it, I was like, well, I have to think of like the deep reason behind this too. <laughs> and so um, when I started like really thinking about it, um, I realized that humans actually use clothing to symbolize humanity all the time. Like if you, um, if a book or something is trying to anthropomorphize an animal, the first thing they do is put it in clothes. Or if you see like a dog or something wearing clothes, it shows everyone around that like someone sees that dog as kind of human. Like they treat it as almost like a child or something. Um, th that dog is not just wearing clothes on its own, you know. Or taking away someone's clothes is a way that we dehumanize them. Like Holocaust, Atlantic slave trade, whatever, one of the big things was stripping people of their clothing um, was a way to dehumanize them. And then I was like thinking about this more and 
clothing kind of brings together a lot of the sort of scattered things that make humans different from the animals. Like um, the big one is shame, right? Like the main reason we cover ourselves is because we feel shame in our nakedness, which animals do not seem to experience. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, animals don't even know that they're naked. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can't really know what an animal, you can't read an animal's mind, but animals don't care that they're naked. Yes, they don't feel any shame in it, right? If they know, they don't feel any shame. And like, so shame as a motivator is something that drives like religions and all kinds of stuff that's unique to humanity. Um, clothing also takes a lot of finessing like it takes a lot of work to make clothing that animals are not able to make things that complex um clothing is shows the way humans can complexly plan for the future like i might need a raincoat i might need hiking shoes you know um clothing is a way humans complexly communicate like you show that you're mennonite with your clothing um you show what your fashion sense is you show like what who you belong with and then finally, like another big separator of humans and animals is art and clothing is also an art form. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to stick with clothing as my reason for why humans are different from animals. And you're welcome to disagree, but I think it's fun to say clothing. <laughs> Emily, are you telling me that in Thailand, when that elephant painted that painting of an elephant, he was not making art? Well, it depends on what um, <laughs> perception of art is, right? Like, you're having fun with a paintbrush, so in a sense that was somewhat artistic, but I don't necessarily think he was trying to express a feeling the way a human does with art. <laughs> you don't know what that elephant is feeling, Emily. You don't know what it's thinking. It could be yeah, an artist. You know, as I was thinking through this, I realized, like, it's so weird because we know humans are different from the animals, mostly from what we create, but we create mm -hmm. because we think differently, but we can't know what an animal thinks. And so it's like most of what makes it different like, from the animal is thinking differently. It's, it's like, is this, is this dolphin just itching to paint the next Mona Lisa, but it's poor little fins can't hold the paintbrush. Yeah, like you can't know and you can't prove that. It's so bizarre to think about, but kind of fun. I think it's fun because then it's like, it's really fun to think that animals might like be able to talk to each other and they might have art that we just don't understand or like they might want to paint and just can't, you know, it's fun to, <laughs> fun to think about probably partly yeah. why we're so drawn to anthropomorphized animals in literature and stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's All right, we should probably wrap this episode up. All right. Well, I uh, really appreciate being able to defend my positions. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to have you on again when your next book is back out in the world again. Yes, yeah. we will. Yes. Or when, whenever we feel like it. <laughs> or whenever we feel like it. Whenever we want a little yeah. boost to our listenership. Guys, I just be popular. Yeah. Yes. What? You should have a Patreon and then you should write little villains like mathematician villain stories and put them as your on your Patreon as perks. Ooh, listeners, let us know if you would pay to read our little mathma villain stories. 
You'll just get like one DM on Instagram and it's me saying I'll pay for this is this is so funny because it's like a bad fan fiction, but of something we made. It's like <laughs> Oh my word. Math All right. stories. Yeah, this has been Idiots Alphabet Soup. Baboosh. Baboosh. Baboosh.